Bible study, Revelation chapter 3 is where we are in our verse-by-verse study together. Revelation chapter 3. If you have a Bible, turn there with me. Revelation chapter 3. Still looking, it's the last book in the Bible. Hit the appendix, maps, you're way too far. So cruise back a little bit and find it there. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this special morning that you've allowed us to have together to be with you. And Lord, we, we confess there is no rival, there is no equal, that you are number one. May you rule and reign in our hearts always. And as we study this letter, Lord, that you gave, this report card that you gave, that, that you'd search our hearts, we want to have a fresh and a vibrant relationship with you. And so, Lord, minister to us as only you can. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. We want to know you more, to walk in your ways. And that you would transform us. You would do that transforming work by the power of your spirit within each one of us. Individually and corporately, Lord, as a church. That we would have ears to hear what the spirit is saying. And so we commit this time to you now. We commit our lives afresh to you now. And it's in your precious and your holy name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So just by way of reminder... um, we haven't gotten very far in this book. I know it's taken us a couple of weeks to, to plow through chapter 2. But remember where this book began. In chapter 1, the Apostle John saw who? Jesus, right? Glorified, resurrected in all of his splendor and all of his glory. John was on the island of Patmos, exiled there. Um, it was a prison. It was a Roman prison colony there. And there he is in that place of isolation And what does he receive? The greatest revelation, right? Revelation means unveiling or uncovering. And so God wants us, not only John to see, but us to see Jesus in a fresh way, in a new way, that we would come to know him in a deeper, more meaningful relationship, that we would be blown away in awe and wonder of his splendor and who he is. And so in chapter one, that's what we saw. And then in chapter two, you may remember, And as we begin chapter 3, Jesus is giving letters to seven churches that existed in John's day. And not only do those churches exist in John's day, but you can find those churches, you can find yourself in any one of those churches throughout church history, even today as well. You can be sitting in a church and you can say, this is what our church looks like. Or personally, you can say, this is where I am spiritually And so as we work our way through these letters, these report cards, we need to have ears to hear, not only individually, but as a church also, because we're going to look at a church this morning that is the church of the living dead. It is a church we do not want to be a part of. Are you with me? And so what was lacking was a living, vital relationship with Jesus Christ. So let's look at it. Chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. We're going to look at the church of Sardis. 
Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 10? Jesus said that I have come that they might have life. And life, how? Abundant. Listen, this morning, to know Jesus is to, is to experience life, is to be alive. And if you're not experiencing that life that Jesus promised, you're cruising around like a zombie. And, and maybe you've come here this morning and you're saying, there's got to be more to life than what I'm experiencing. Jesus has life for you. But it's not found outside of a living, vital relationship with him. And so it's not an accident you've come this morning. It's not an accident you're listening. The Lord loves you and he desires that you would experience life. Even as a Christian, there's times we could be going through the motions spiritually and not experiencing that abundant life that Jesus promised us. And so this morning, he gives us the, not only the diagnosis or prognosis, but he wants to help us get back on track this morning. We don't want to be walking around like zombies, you guys. We want to be experiencing the life that he promised. Amen? Amen. Amen. God's word says, verse 1, And to the angel of the church in Sardis, or to the messenger of the church in Sardis, write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Jesus says, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect or appropriate before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, For they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So let me draw your attention to the first verse. And so we recognize that this letter, this report card is given to who? What does it say? To the angel. In Greek, that word angel, it means literally messenger. And so it can either be a ministering spirit, like the angels that come from heaven or that are in heaven, or it can mean a physical minister. I believe it's speaking of a physical minister personally because we don't see any angels receiving correction in the Bible or receiving encouragement, Um, but we do find physical ministers, pastors, leaders receiving God's encouragement, receiving correction from the Lord. And so I personally believe this is the lead pastor of the church, the one who is held accountable, the one who um, who has the privilege, the honor, the blessing of caring for God's precious people, to feed them, to feed, to plead, to lead, to care for God's precious blood-bought people. And so he was to be faithful to deliver this message as any leader of a church is is to be faithful to deliver God's word to God's people. Amen. Hopefully, hopefully get an amen for that. 
For sure. You know what I'm saying? We want to be receiving the word of God. What does the word of God say? And so to the angel of the church, church in Greek is ekklesia. And what does that word mean? You guys know. Called out. Called out once. As a church, we've been called. What have we been called out of? Called out of darkness. First Peter 2. Called out of darkness into what? His marvelous. Into his marvelous light. Into whose marvelous light? Jesus' marvelous light. We've been called out of darkness. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of have the light of life, you guys. We've been called 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We've been called into fellowship. We've been called out of, out of a fellowship with darkness into fellowship with Jesus Christ. To have a living, vital, growing relationship with him. So there's this church in Sardis. Sardis was a very wealthy city. It was a very old city. It was established in 2000 BC. That's a, that was a ways back. 2000 BC. That was like around, I think around David's time. Can't remember King David, you guys, from the Old Testament? And so this city was wealthy, influential. It had major roads going through it. There was a river that runs through it also. But what's interesting to know about this city is not only Aesop was from there. Remember Aesop? Aesop's fables. Anybody heard Aesop's fables? If you haven't, you can Google it. Aesop was from there. But this city was on like a, like a plateau or a hill. And it was, it was a great defense. It had three sheer cliffs that went up with only really one route to go in and to go out. So these people that lived there, it was secure, but they rested on their high position, their lofty position. They thought no one can touch us. We're good. No one can, no one can conquer us. And so they believed they were untouchable. But guess what happened? They got, they got conquered. At least two times during their history, once they were conquered by, remember Cyrus the Persian from the Old Testament? You guys remember Cyrus? Cyrus the Persian, they conquered this amazing fortified city. How did they do it? Well, the, per, the Persian army came, Cyrus's guys came, and they were thinking, how in the world are we going to get in? If we go up, if we march up, are they going to dump the hot oil and all the junk on us? We can't get up, we're done. There's no way we're getting in. All of a sudden, off the, off the wall, there was a soldier. His helmet fell, and it bounced down the cliff. And they're watching this happen, and the soldier goes out of like a secret entrance, and he goes down this trail all the way down, picks up his helmet, and then goes all the way back up this secret trail back into the city. Well, guess what the Persians were doing? Got it. That's how we're getting them. They went up that night. They marched in. They, they rolled in. They came into the city. And guess what? They were ready to battle. They're ready to fight. And guess what happened? There was no fight at all. There was no guards. There was no watchmen at all. And they just took the city. Why? Because they thought they were okay. We're okay in this position, in this lofty, uh, elevated place where we're at. And it happened again like 300 years later by a guy named uh, Antiochus Epiphanes. Another familiar name for Bible students. The city got conquered again. And so why is this important? Why am I... Why, do I just want to like share some cool history stuff with you guys this morning? It's not an accident that this, is, that this was going on in this city. Jesus uses the history of these cities to bring to bear a spiritual point. You guys remember Ephesus, the first church? They left their first love. 
And he, and he reminded them Ephesus was where it all began. That's where the work of, of God began in modern-day Turkey there. Paul came there, right? The gospel went forth. God's word went out. They experienced a, a radical awakening in that city. So Jesus reminds them, hey, this is where it all started. In your, in your relationship with me, it was a love relationship. Because isn't that how it happens? We fall in love with Jesus. We begin to walk with him. Hopefully that love is growing, staying fired up, and staying stoked. The next city was what? Remember the next city, what it was? Smyrna. Remember, you guys remember? Smyrna. Why was that city, uh, why was that such an important city? Because of the myrrh, Smyrna. Myrrh came from that city, right? Myrrh smells super beautiful. Somebody gave me a little, uh, one of those little, what are they, uh, those little oils, what are they called? Essential oils with myrrh. Oh, it's awesome. It smells beautiful. But remember how that product came about. They would crush it. Remember they would crush, they would crush the, in, into powder. And then it, the, the fragrance, the beautiful aroma would come forth after it was crushed. After this plant was crushed. And that's what was happening in Smyrna. These believers were getting persecuted to the point of death. They were getting crushed in the persecution and what was coming forth from their life. This beautiful aroma to God. God was blessed as they were, as they were holding fast to him, holding fast to his name. They weren't bowing down or, or caving in to the persecution. The next city was what? What was the next city? You guys remember? You guys remember what the next city was? You can just look and cheat if you want. <laughs> it was Pergamus. Pergamus means fortified. It means fortified or protected. What's interesting about that, that was the church that was involved with what? Compromise. Thank you. There is no safety, no protection when you're compromising in your walk with Jesus. That was the point that Jesus brought to bear. When there's compromise in our walk with him, there's no safety there. There's no security there if we're doing things we shouldn't do, going against the word of God. What was the next city? Thyatira. Thyatira. Check this out. I never knew this. The name Thyatira means odor of affliction. This city was involved with what? what, was, what remember what was happening with them? They were the which church? The corrupt church, right? They were the corrupt church. Listen, when, when our walk is corrupt, it's stinky. It is an odor. It's a stink in the nostrils of our Lord. And he gave, but the, the cool thing about this is, as we read these report cards, Jesus doesn't just give the diagnosis or the prognosis, but what does he give also? The prescription, right? The, how to get back on track. Because maybe you find yourself in one of those cities or in your walk personally. I'm there in my walk. Guess what? Jesus doesn't say, okay, I'm done with you later days. He says, here's how to get back on track. Just like the church we're reading about this morning. Well, notice in verse 1, what else does Jesus say? He gives a reminder from chapter 1 of some things that they had forgotten about him. Or they, needed, or they not only needed a reminder of, but some, some fresh insight concerning himself. These things says he, Jesus, who has the seven spirits of God. Seven is the number of completion, fullness. Jesus has the fullness of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Bible tells us Jesus is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. The church is birthed by the Spirit. Paul tells us in Galatians, what is birthed in the Spirit needs to continue in the Spirit, correct? 
We don't want to add our own fleshly efforts. The, the work needs to be continuing in the Spirit. We are to rely upon the Holy Spirit. I think personally, Jesus is reminding them this because they had either forgotten about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit or they were neglecting the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person, correct? The third person of the Trinity. Jesus gives us amazing insight concerning his ministry in our lives in John chapter 14, 15, and 16. I would encourage you to read that. He gives us parameters and protection as we walk with him concerning the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The problem is some people neglect the ministry of the Holy Spirit and his work and what he does. And so Jesus is reminding them, that he's the one who has the fullness of the Spirit. And also, Jesus reminds them that he is the one who has the seven stars. What are the seven stars? Chapter 1. Let's flip over there real quick. It's okay. Verse 20. Because sometimes you'll be listening to someone teaching on Revelation. And they're, they're like off the wall. And they'll say, the seven stars represent this. Or they're symbolic of this. Listen, the best... The, the, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself. Amen. Jesus defines for us what the seven stars are. Look at chapter 1, verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw, where, where are they? In my right hand, the hand of strength and authority. And the seven golden lampstands, and he explains to us, the seven stars are the angels or the messengers of the seven churches. Isn't that great? Jesus tells us what it is. We don't have to guess. We don't have to come up with something. So those seven messengers are in the right hand of Jesus. As a pastor, that gives me lots of comfort. But it's also a reminder to me that I am under his authority. And if, you, if we want to have any authority at all as men, we need to be men under authority, just as Jesus said. And I think what Jesus is communicating to this church, and what he's saying is, I work through my spirit, and through godly leaders, and there's neither at your church. Heavy. Look at the next verse, verse 1, or next part of verse 1. Because what does he say? Look what Jesus says. I know your works. In other words, Jesus, I know all about what you're doing. That you have a name, that you are alive, but you are, what does your Bible say? Dead. Dead. Jesus confronts the church. And you know, can, can you imagine they've heard these letters before? And each, each letter begins with, com, with, with commendation, with Jesus commending the church. And it's almost like they're sitting there going, okay, what's he going to commend us for? We're a great denomination. We're a great Christian church. We've got such a great reputation. We've got such a long history and heritage. And Jesus says what? You peep, the people think you're alive. You think you're alive, but you're dead. You're not. They're, in other words, they're alive in name only. They were living in the past. Your name says that you are alive, but you're not. You're a dead church. There's no life, lifeless. It's cold. There's no spiritual life at all. You're acting the role. You're pretenders. There's no reality. Listen, this morning, that can happen. That could happen to any one of us, you guys, where there's no longer anything real going on with the Lord. This morning, do you have something real going on with Jesus? 
Allow this to search your heart. Is there a reality in my walk with the Lord? Is it fresh? Is it current? Am I hearing from Jesus? Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Do you know him? Does he know you? Are you in a love relationship with Jesus? Jesus had the heaviest words. Who did Jesus have the heaviest words for, you guys? Not a trick question. You guys know. Did he have the heaviest words for the, like the prostitutes and the robbers and thieves? Fair, thank you. Pharisees. The religious leaders of the day. Jesus said in Matthew 23, verse 27, 23, 27, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? Outwardly, you look amazing. You look great. But inside, you're dead. There's nothing going on with God. There's no reality. There's no relationship going on with you and God. And Jesus let them straight up know the truth in love. And so, what is the mark? So let's, let's talk about this this morning. What is the mark of a dead or dying church? I don't want to be, listen, I don't want to pastor a dead or dying church. You shouldn't want to be in a dead or dying church. So what are the marks of a dead or dying church? I've got a list, not top 10, top six. You ready? I wrote them down. Here's number one. Number one, you're not fed a good diet. What does that mean, pastor? That means the Bible is no longer taught or minimized. Or it's no longer the most important influence in your life personally. How does it, listen, this morning, how does a Pharisee become a Pharisee? You ever thought about that? How does a Pharisee become a Pharisee? Can I tell you this morning how it happens? Mark chapter 6, I'm going to read the passage. This is so important. Mark 6. No, Mark 7. Jesus said, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of the commandments of men. Did you hear that? Jesus says they honor God with their lips, but their heart is where? Far from Him. They teach as doctrine man's commandments, man's traditions. In other words, what men have to say supersedes what God's Word has to say. In fact, Jesus goes on, listen, for laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. So they lay aside the word of God. And then listen. Jesus said to them, all too well, you reject the commandment of God. Why? That you may keep your tradition. Did you guys catch that? They not only lay the, the word of God aside. And, and listen, that's kind of like, a, like um, a pattern that happens in our lives. We begin to now lay aside the word. And before long, you know what you're doing? Now you're rejecting the Word of God. If you're not in the Word of God, where else are you getting your counsel from? Where are you getting your direction from? Where are you getting your, leader, your leading from? You're getting, yeah, amen, from the world. 
The world has now become your counselor, or people have become your counselor, rather than the wonderful counselor ministering to your heart, allowing the Word of God to search your heart, to show you where you need to make adjustments, to give us light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path, to guide our feet from stumbling, to keep us from wiping out, in order that we might know Him and hear His voice. But what happens when the Word of God is dumbed down or it's, it's, it's ditched? What begins to happen? A church begins to die. A church becomes dead or your life. Spiritually, you begin to dry up. Spiritually, you're not being nourished. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. All of a sudden, you've, you've set aside the word of God. Now you're rejecting it and no longer are you living. You've become a zombie. Because why? You're, you're receiving your instruction. You're receiving your nourishment from the things of this world. So notice the second thing. What's the second sign of a dead or dying church, we begin to trust in our own resources. We begin to trust in our own wisdom. We begin to trust in our own strength. We begin to trust in our own cleverness and no longer rely upon the Holy Spirit. And here's what happens. I was, sh- I was sharing this morning with our church planting class. You know what happens? You start out hungry. You start out hungering for God. You've got nothing. You have no other options. You've got no money in the bank. You got no building. Is that good English? Is that good grammar? You have no building. You ain't got nothing. That's terrible grammar. (laughs) You got nothing but the Lord, and that's the only thing you need, by the way. That's all you need is the Lord. Because Jesus said, I will build my church. That takes all the pressure off of us. He'll build it. You be faithful to do what God's called you to do and watch the amazing things he does. The problem is, after a while, you're hungering. Lord, there's no money. There's more month than money. You're crying out. You're on your knees. You're, you're sharing the gospel. You're reaching out to people. You've got a hunger for the lost. And what begins to happen, though? After some time, you start to log some miles. The church starts to grow. And what begins to happen? Now you've got a little bit of money in the bank. You've got, you've got some other resources, and what you have now is other options to look to rather than to praying and hungering for the Lord. And you start to now, rather than rely upon the Lord, looking to Him, and it's okay to have, have a bank account with money in it, but are you seeking the Lord and praying in your decision-making? Or are you just looking to those resources instead of looking to the Lord? In the book of Acts, well, before that, Jesus said, go into the world and make what? Disciples, go and preach the gospel. Jesus said, but Jesus said, before you go, wait. I want you guys to go, go, go. But you need to wait first. Do we go? Do we wait? Do we wait? Do we go? What do we do? The disciples were all like, what in the world are you talking about? What did Jesus say to wait for? The baptism of the Holy Spirit or the filling of the Holy Spirit. Whatever your theology you like. Jesus Jesus was like, before you go anywhere, do anything, say anything, make sure you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And you look at the whole book of Acts, it's all about the work of the Holy Spirit, working through yielded vessels, yielded instruments into the Lord's hands. And it's glorious what he does and how he builds his church. Number three, you know a church is dead or dying when the focus is on a man and not Jesus. The focus is now on a man and not Jesus Christ. Are you with me this morning? You guys remember Samson? Remember the dude that got his hair cut? Delilah, right? Remember that deal? That guy was a one-man wrecking crew. Did you notice I said one man? 
He never did anything with any, anyone else. He did it all alone. He did ministry all alone. Can you imagine the victories that they would have had for God's glory and for the furtherance of his kingdom if he would have said, you know what, let's, go, let's do this together. We need to follow the Lord's leading and guiding. We need to get rid of these Philistines, not play games, not have fun and games with people, playing games. Let's do what God has called us to do as a team, as a unit. Listen, a church will become dead or will be dying when the focus is on a man and not on Jesus. It's his church, by the way. He's the head. He's the senior pastor. Number four, the, here, check this out. The church worships its past. Living off your former glory. Living off past memories instead of a present relationship with Jesus Christ right now. In other words, living off what God has done five years ago or ten years ago instead of experiencing God today. I love it when, when people come, old school Calvary Chapel people come, and they share about they came from the tent days of Pastor Chuck when they were meeting in the tent and all of that. Hallelujah. And then I, and then I ask them, what is God doing in your life right now? Uh, I'm just church hopping, church hopping, hopping around, hopping around. Why don't you get planted somewhere and say, Lord, here's my life. I want you to do a fresh work just like back in the tent days and watch what God will do in your life rather than, rather than living off those past memories. And listen, we, I am thankful for those things God did back then. I'm thankful for the things that God did five years ago, ten years ago, but we cannot be living off those memories, guys. Looking to the past and worshiping our past, we need to have a fresh walk with Jesus today to experience Him today. Are you with me? What is God, what is God doing in your life right now, presently? Maybe you've come in here this morning. What's the fresh work that God is doing in your life? What, how is He using your life right now? Is He? If not, listen, listen, if not, you're walking around as a zombie. You're just going through the motions. You're just going through life. What's the next thing? The church loves systems more than it loves Jesus. A church that is dead or dying loves systems more than it loves Jesus. Listen, when a church exalts, check this out, when a church exalts ritualism, traditionalism, liturgy, religious activity, uh, personal pet doctrines, and creates organizations then after that around them. Listen, the church is not an organization. It's an organism. It is living, breathing, multiplying. We, listen, we have traditions here, by the way. We, got, we have good traditions here. You know what they are? We worship the Lord. We sing songs to Jesus, don't we? Right? Are you with me this morning? We sing, sing songs. We open our Bible and study our Bibles. That's a good tradition. We pray together. That's a great tradition. Those are, listen, those are ways to connect with God. Those are great ways. But the problem is we can do those things and not connect with God and not commune with God. Do you know that? That was one amen. There's one person that understands. <laughs> we can come in here and sing those songs with our lips, but our hearts beware. Far from him. We can come in and sing the songs, or we can come in and sit with our arms crossed and say, that song again? Really? And you're, you're playing a box? Who plays a box in church? Listen, God has blessed us with that box. 
you know, it was so funny because, you know, Crystal, who led, led us in worship this morning, some of you know her back from the days in the daycare center, the daycare center days. She, listen, the Lord put it upon my heart to let her lead worship when she was 11 years old. 11, right, Crystal? Yeah. And she would, here's this little thing with a giant guitar, same beautiful voice, same beautiful heart for Jesus, writing songs, songs coming out of her relationship with the Lord that were leaving us, whoa, blown away in awe and wonder. But we had some people saying, how could you do that, Pastor? How could you let a little girl like that lead worship? How could I? It's not me. It's the Lord who wants to do it. He's showing me. And she led us for years in sweet worship to Jesus. Problem is, we get stuck in our own little rituals, our own how. Listen, when does worship ever become about you, by the way? It's not about you, it's about Jesus. And so, when a church loves systems more than it loves Jesus, it's dying. We should be fresh, communing with Jesus every day. Here's number six number six, you no longer share the gospel, you no longer care about the lost. You know, and I added something this morning to that. I forgot about this in the first service. You're no longer serving the Lord. You're no longer using your gifts that God's given you to serve. It happens. Because if we no longer care about anyone else, you know who all we care about is? Us. We become self-absorbed, self-focused. That will equal a miserable life, by the way. That's the life we've been called out of. Right? Serving yourself. It's emptiness. You you, you want to walk around like a zombie? Guess what? Keep serving yourself. Keep caring about only yourself. You'll never experience the life that Jesus promises you, the abundant life, until you start saying, okay, Lord, I get it. Because he's going to give us the, he's going to give us the, not just the prognosis, but he's going to help us get on track. Jesus didn't say, I'm done with you. That's it. You got a name. You're dead. I'm finished. See you later. Drop the mic. Bye. Look what he says. Look at the next verse. Verse 2. What's the first thing he says? Be watchful. It literally means wake up. It means wake up. Stay awake. Be vigilant. Be responsible. Be cautious. Be active. The church was asleep. The believers were napping. Jesus says, you've lost your spiritual alertness. And you are on collision course for disaster. We have any military people here this morning? Any, we've got a couple. Any more? Right, okay, awesome. Thank you for your service. So you're on duty guarding at night, and you fall asleep on your watch. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Probably pretty bad, isn't it? What like a GI shower or code red, code red or something? It's not good, is it? You get some kind of disciplinary action, correct? It's not, no bueno. It's bad. You need to stay awake on your watch, don't you? You do anything you can to stay awake. Why? Because you're entrusted with other people's lives. And so the picture here is a soldier on a tower watching that's wide awake. As Christians, listen, we should be watchful for things. What should we be watchful for? The enemy, yeah. How about number one? What should we be? Jesus said to be watching for his what? 
The return of our Lord Jesus Christ. This phrase is used over and over. Jesus said, be watching for my return. Be alert. Be awake. All the writers in the New Testament speak of Jesus' return to be his imminent return. To be awake. To be watchful. He's coming at any moment. It's, this phrase is always connected when Jesus speaks with his imminent return. Or usually it's, it refers to that. Also looking out for false doctrine, you guys. 1 Timothy 4.1. Check this out. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, when's latter times? Now, some will depart from the faith. What does that mean? Some are going to ditch Jesus. What are they going to do? Giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. What else should we be looking out for? Watching for? Not just Jesus' return, but watch out for false doctrine. The first thing Jesus told his disciples in the Olivet Discourse was to watch out for false teachers, false prophets. They come to you in, in sheep's clothing. What else should we be looking out for? How about temptation? Remember when Jesus took his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane? Told them to do what? To watch and... Pray lest you enter into temptation. Oh. So that's how I avoid going down the wrong trail is to watch and pray because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I think that's what Peter was talking about when he said to be sober, vigilant, to be awake, because your adversary, someone mentioned it over here, to be looking out for, your adversary prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. If you're not watching, guess who's watching? He's watching you. To do what, Christian? To steal, kill, and to destroy your life, your marriage. And that doesn't mean just to like wipe out completely. He can just leave you like a zombie. He can come in he, somehow, some way, and we prayed that this wouldn't happen. Jesus talked about the sower and the seed. The seed hits the heart that's hard, and what happens? It gets taken away by who? By the devil. By it. Somehow, on a hard heart, you come in here, you hear this message, you listen. Oh, yeah, it's cool, whatever, man. I got a hard heart. I heard this before. What else? This is church. I got brought here for, by my mom. Wanted to be real cool on Mother's Day. And what happens? The devil comes and takes the word, right, right, the word of God right out of your heart. And you leave unchanged. When God wants to change you. When God wants to heal you. When God wants to fix your life and give you life. Abundant life. Rather than walking around like a zombie. And how does, it, how, does, how does that life come? It comes by an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. Being connected to Him. Being in fellowship with Him. In a relationship with Him. And so Jesus says, pay attention to your walk. Wake up. Wake up. Pay attention to your walk. The opportunities that are presented before you. To wake up. Revival is needed. And that's what he says. Look at the next part of verse 2. Strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. That word strengthen, you know, we get the Greek word. Uh, it's, it's sterizo. 
which we get steroids. So we got to juice up today. <laughs> right? Jesus says, get juiced up. Juice up the things that remain. There's a few signs of life. That word strengthen literally means give support, help to stand, establish, to make strong, fortify, make stable. Anybody here gardeners? Had a couple that aren't ashamed. Green thumbs. Farmers. Hey, farmers here? What happens when you have something that a crop or a plant that's unfruitful, unproductive, the branches are unproductive? What do you do? You get rid of them, don't you? We got this in our backyard. We got this purple passion plant. Anybody heard of purple passion? It looks so beautiful. But you know what it does? It chokes out the life of all the stuff you got. It weaves in and out. It's so sneaky. And it sneaks in and it sneaks out. And it chokes out the life of your plants. So you know what you got to do? Cut that thing off. Get rid of it. Listen, in order to strengthen the other plants, in order that the other ones would become more fruitful, maybe this morning there's things in your life that need to get chopped. You need to get rid of. And you're saying, yeah, I know. The author of Hebrews says, let us lay aside every weight and every sin that so easily besets us, that slows us down in our race. You know what hinders you and slows you down. I don't need to get up here and point stuff out in your life. You know the Holy Spirit shows you that you need to get rid of. This is not profitable. This is unproductive. This is something that's going to keep you from bearing fruit for God's glory, and it needs to go. But not only get rid of something, but we need to we need to strengthen and to establish. We got and the legacy ministry for the young men. You know what they're learning to do? They're learning to make fires. They're learning to build fires. Isn't that cool? They're learning to start fires, man. <laughs> I'm so glad that our the head of safety is doing that ministry. But what happens when your campfire starts to go out and you just got some? little embers in the middle that are just glowing. Do you, do you go and blow the stuff on the outside, the gray stuff, to get it going? I need to stoke this fire. I'm going to blow the, the, the ash. Does that get the fire going again? What do you blow on? The M? The M correct? You, you give it some... And what happens? That's what Jesus is saying. You, you've got some things that are that are not dead, but they're dying in your life. Spiritually. That's amen. Thank you. That kid knows. That's what happens. I don't want this thing to go. I can't get rid of it. But then you find out when you get rid of it, what happens? Thank you, Lord. Sometimes it's a person. Sometimes it's a place you've been going. Something that, sometimes it's a thing. A person plays or thing. It's a noun. <laughs> <laughs> But then there's those things that, are, that you've got that are, that are good, that you need to ramp those up. Do those more. That's what he's saying here. Build on that. Get rid of the stuff that sucks the life from the productive branches. And I'll, I'll strengthen those things that are glowing, those little embers. And Jesus says, look, at, I'm looking at what you're doing and it's inappropriate. It's unacceptable. And listen, if you are an empty shell this morning, a nominal Christian, a Christian in name only, or you're just going through the repetitions or your religious activity, you're going to fall short. That's what that word means, perfect. It means not, it means you're, not perfect means you're falling short. 
of what God wants for you, for your life. And Jesus says, you need to reconnect with me. He's the source of life. He is the fountain of living water, the Bible says. Jesus says, come to me and drink, and out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. He's an ever-flowing supply of spiritual vitality. That's where revival begins, you guys, by coming back to Jesus. Coming to him. It's so simple. He doesn't go anywhere. He's right there. All you got to do is just turn, turn to him. If you, if you are a zombie this morning, maybe spiritually you're like a zombie. And all you got to do is just turn around. He's right there. In fact, he says, look at the next verse. Remember, therefore, remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. So he doesn't say live in your past. Go back in the past and live there. He's saying what? Reflect. Look back. Take a trip down memory lane. When were you alive spiritually? Do you remember when you were alive spiritually? What was it like? That's what he's saying. Do you remember when you were alive spiritually? When there was vitality. When there was freshness. It was current. You were thriving. You were growing. There was fruit abounding in your life. Remember what it was like. Remember how you have heard. How did you hear and receive? How did you hear and receive? Think about that with me. Every one of us, we hear and receive the same way. If you're born again, if you're saved this morning, you became aware of your sinfulness and need of Jesus Christ, and you surrendered to him. How did you receive? By faith. You wholly and completely accepted Jesus' words. But listen, that faith experience you had is not just a past thing. Your faith relationship with Jesus should be growing. Why? Because the Bible says the just shall live by faith. How else did you receive in here? Brokenness? Humility? Like a babe, like a child? Jesus prayed, thank you, Father, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent, but you revealed these things to the babes. Listen, we need to not, we not only begin receiving as babes, as children, trusting, but we need to continue to receive as babes, as children. Not, 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 not grow up. <laughs> we need to go on to maturity, but we should always be babes in reception. To receive his implanted word with meekness that is able to save our souls, James says. Hold fast. Hold fast, he says. Remember how you have heard and received. Hold fast. Hold fast to Jesus. Abide in him. Don't let go. Be relentless guarding. Keep intact that relationship. And then what does he say? What's the last thing he says there in that verse? What are we to do? Therefore, verse 3, hold fast and... Repent. In other words, listen. You need to think differently. And after hearing this, you need to think differently. And afterwards, you need to behave differently. Repent means to stop and do a 180. Stop going the direction you're going. To say, Lord, you're right. I have, I have been a zombie. I am not experiencing the life that you promised. And it's not your fault. It's my fault. It's my fault. I've allowed these things into my life. I've allowed my life to go down this trail. I've chosen. It's a choice, by the way. We have the privilege of choice. It's a choice we make. And you say, Lord, please forgive me. 
And I forsake, I forsake the way I've been going and I start to go Jesus' way. There's an actual change that happens. There's a transformation. We, ex- we acknowledge sin for what it is and we call it sin. We don't sugarcoat it. We don't make excuses. But we say, I have sinned against you, Lord. You're right. I'm wrong. Jesus doesn't say, go have a new emotional commitment or experience. He doesn't say, go church hopping and, and, and try to get a pastor that will give you a personal pep talk. He says, come back to me. Come back to my words, what I am saying. But if you don't, look at the next verse. The warning. Verse 3, or next part of verse 3. If you will not watch, if you refuse to wake up, to stay awake, to remain vigilant, Jesus says, I will come upon you as a thief. How does a thief come upon someone? Does a thief text you? I'm coming by at little burglar emoji. <laughs> Be there at 1.15. Unannounced, unexpectedly. Not, he doesn't come with blessing. There's loss associated. Two times in their history in Sardis, they were conquered like a thief. And Jesus says, I'm coming and you're going to be shocked. You will experience loss. They understood this from their own personal history. Listen, if Jesus came back right now, would you be ready? Would you be ready for him? Do, do you guys remember when you guys got married? For those of you who are married here this morning. Remember that wedding day? For me, it was almost 26 years ago. Tanya was in this beautiful wedding dress. I'm so glad she wasn't in like curlers and a robe, house shoes. With a scowl. Radiant, beautiful. She's more beautiful now than ever. But she was prepared. She was prepared for that day to meet her groom. The Bible tells us that we are to be ready to meet our groom, Jesus Christ. We are the bride of Christ. It says that, Pastor, where does it say that? Come on, I think you're making stuff up. 1 John 2, 28, And now, little children, abide in Him, abide in Jesus, that when He appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. It shouldn't be a moment of shame, but a moment of glory when we see Him, that we are preparing ourselves to meet Him. And then verse 4, look what it says. He says, there are a few people there, there's a remnant in that dead church who have not defiled, some of your Bibles say soiled their garments. If you have a toddler, you know what that means. <laughs> Is that pretty clear? <laughs> How do you keep yourself clean, your garment clean? You stay out of the mud. You stay close to Jesus. You stay fresh and current with Him. I mean, think about it. how often do you bathe? Once a month? Once a year? How many of you guys? Like every day, maybe? How often do you eat? Some of you are thinking, I'm, Pastor, get us out of here, man. This <laughs> Costco. Sample's going to be all gone by the time you get done with this sermon, man. (laughs) Lunch crowd's going to be packed. 
You don't neglect your physical body. Why would we neglect the spiritual part of us? That we might experience growth and life. Jesus said, not only abide in me, but let my words abide in you. Again, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So we stay close to Jesus. We keep our garments clean. We stay out of the mud, stay close to him. He says, they will be with him. Jesus says, they're going to walk with me in glory, clean and pure, for it's appropriate. They're worthy. And then three promises as we close. Look what it says. The one who overcomes, the one who conquers or overcomes these deficiencies shall be what? Clothed, robed in pure white garments. White speaks of purity. It speaks of no shame. It speaks of no accusations, no condemnation. In fact, I love what Isaiah says. I'm going to read it real fast. It's only one verse. Isaiah 61.10 tells, Isaiah was stoked. He says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. Why? For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Isn't that beautiful? The Lord gives us that freely, undeservedly, this robe, white garments. And then Jesus says, what's the next promise? I will not blot his name out or from the book of life. The overcomer's name will remain in this special book. And we read about this special book throughout the book of Revelation. It's the list of people who will end up with Jesus in heaven. And Jesus says, I'm not going to blot your name out. And you know what? There's people that go to great lengths to explain this away. Can you be blotted out? Can you not be blotted out? You know what? I don't know. There's some, there's some really good Bible teachers, John MacArthur included, who explain this away. I, I'm not going to explain this text away. The only safety and security you have is if you're abiding in Jesus Christ. Outside of that, there is no safety and no security. Pastor, how can you say that, man? I didn't say it. Jesus did. Please listen. Because I don't want to find out if you can or can't. I want to abide. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do Nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. I don't want to find out what that means, not abiding in Jesus. He said it. Jesus says, I won't blot his name out, but what I will do, I will confess his name. Isn't that what it says? Before my Father and before who? What's, it, what's your Bible say? Before his... Angels, Jesus will acknowledge and openly declare your name and mine before the Father. How many angels are there? Innumerable. Can you imagine? My unworthy name, your unworthy name. Mikey, come on up here. It tells us, that I'm out of time. I love this though. Listen to what it says in Jude. Jude, verse 24, there's only one chapter. Speaking of Jesus, now to him who is able, Jesus is able to keep you from stumbling. That's in this life. And, check this out, 
to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. You know what that means? You guys know what that means? That means when you and I pass through the veil, take our last breath here, we've been trusting in Jesus Christ. You stand up there and you know what, you know what Jesus says? Dad, this one's mine. He doesn't say, this guy made it through, I can't believe it. <laughs> how, did he, how did Mikey sneak in here? Because it says with exceed, we don't use that word very often, do we? Exceeding joy. It's going to make Jesus excited. This one's mine. I mean, he loves you. He's not ashamed of you. How beautiful is that? It's awesome. You're accepted in the beloved, a child of God. Keep trusting him. Abide in Jesus. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much this morning. Lord, thank you for the, the heaviness, the weight of your word. The beauty of your word, the necessity. May we always receive your word with meekness. As babes. Thank you for revealing so much to us. For helping us to know you more. We might walk in your ways. This